Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, Peter Gadd and Kristen Birchenall talk with Britt Barron as they wrap up our series, A Conversation About Race. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Well, hey everyone, it's Kristen and Peter and Britt Barron here. Hello. (laughs) We're so excited to be able to have this conversation with you after three weeks of listening to you talk. Peter and I have been like going back and forth with, I want to talk to her about this. I want to talk to her about that. What do we, it's just been, I feel like your messages were so helpful. There was so much information. I love the illustrations when you're always like, I'm sorry, I keep doing this to you guys, but imagine this. I'm like, (laughs) no, the imagination is where things like actually stick and land. So thank you so much for just the way you've put all this together. It's been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I also love that you mentioned the rainbow bridge. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, Well, so Peter and I just want to kind of start by, besides just thanking you for your effort, um, we want to, we just have things kind of about ideas of things that you've talked about kind of in order of week one, week two, week three, that we just want to kind of dive into and get some more information on, um, get your opinions on things and kind of hear from you, whether or not we kind of received what you were saying in the way that you intended. Um, for me, I think the river analogy was really helpful. Like you can jump in and try to start pulling stuff out, or you can actually walk upstream and see what's going on. Um, and then when you see what's going on, I think is where, cause I think it gets a lot harder when you start to, like you said, it's very, very few things come down to an event between one person and another person. There's always something kind of behind it. And I guess yeah. my question for you is once you look through like what you talked about, racist ideas, racist power, um, I found myself getting more discouraged about the power and the ideas. Um, And I was wondering, like, is that the point of doing that exercise in your brain to get down to like how big the issue really is? Is that the point? And then also then it feels like when I look at racist power in a situation that I've seen, I just feel like even more helpless with like, what am I supposed to do about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the point is not um, despair, but (laughs) it is to, and so that's hopefully the journey. And we'll get to that point where we, it's big and then impacts us as individuals. And then us as individuals can sort of go back and impact the big, but initially I think the point of that is to realize how big it is. And I think the point of that for me is twofold. One I really, really just want us to stop talking about this and thinking about it as an individual issue. Thinking of like, oh, well, I'm not racist, so yeah, uh, it's it's not a problem, right? It's it's in with like climate stuff, right? <clears throat> well, <throat> I don't have an oil rig, so you know, I'm not, <laughs> not a problem, right? We're all on this planet, so um, we're all a part of this system, and so understanding how big it is is important to understand the fact that one, you play a role in it, whether you want to be playing a role in it or not, it has impacted you, whether you have tried to be impacted or not. And it's a little bit, I see how it it could be discouraging, but it's also meant to be like, okay, we'll take a little bit of the pressure off of like, I'm not coming at like you, Peter, like you like to say, like, are you this is it's to say like, hey, we've all been impacted. This is huge, 
right? This has hit all of our lives and we need to have that framework. And then I think some of the best leaders that we have seen and learned from in anti-racism work, Martin Luther King Jr.'s and Octavia Butler's, all these people that a lot of them have written things like, I'm planting seeds for trees I'll never sit under. And MLK even famously said like, you know, I, I've seen the mountaintop, but I may not get there with you. Like just understanding, mm -hmm. hey, this is, even I understand, like, I, I don't think I will see the resolve of this in my lifetime. I hope to be a part of planting a seed for a tree someone else will get to sit under. And I think there's some health to that in understanding like, hey, yeah, like you, you're gonna go after this, you're gonna fight for this, we're gonna turn the tide, but prob probably not in our lifetime. Um, and we're reaping things, the benefit of, of people's work to get us to where we are. And we hope to get people in the next generation to a next part. And I think sometimes as Americans in particular, that's a, that's an uncomfortable idea of like, you know, we're dropping more seeds, we're watering plants, but like, we may not see this tree, um, but that the work is still valuable and worth it. Um, it took hundreds of years to build the system it's not going to come down in a day. And that's not meant to be discouraging. That's meant to be like, okay, do we have a vision for future generations? Do we have a vision for what it looks like to participate in, in, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Do we have, can we, can we hold that? Right. Um, and I think that's mm -hmm. a lot of the, the difficulty when you start to realize like, whoa, okay. I'm not going to read one book and then yeah, be like, wow, I did it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I graduated. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next. Yeah. I'm curious, are you optimistic? I mean, it has to be this combination, right, of like realistic, like we have to face the realities of um, George Floyd's situation or just whatever other situation that's we, that George Floyd is an example of after example after example of racist acts. Mm -hmm. um, but are you optimistic that there's progress when it comes to some of the ideas being less well accepted or that the policy is improving um like even down to, down to the power level like you feel like the those in power like the percentage of people in power or percentage of systems that are powerful are less racist than they were 100 years ago do you feel like that is is bending towards justice currently or do you feel like there's still a lot of work i mean obviously there's a lot of work to go but do you still feel optimistic at some level yeah i do totally and i think you know, it was really wild summer of 2020. Like there yeah. hasn't been that many people like galvanized towards this specific movement in, you know, 60, 70 years in my lifetime, at least there hasn't been. And that was incredible. I mean, the, right. The reality that like, when's the last time like Eastlake did an anti-racism series. Right. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, of hope in that in, um, you know, I think that the power one is always going to be the hardest one to shift, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, there's a reason that, you know, I think in every ancient tradition, one of the, the things we are most warned about is power. And I think there's a reason. Um, that's a tough tide to turn, but I do feel optimistic. I think we're seeing a lot of progress and that doesn't mean take your foot off the gas, but yeah. I, I certainly feel optimistic and as, an, you know, Natural Enneagram Seven. I'm <laughs> always looking for a, a little bit of hope. But I, I hope. you know, it's it's cool to see to even be having these conversations with so many people, and mm -hmm. uh, to see the kind of books that are on the New York Times list, and to see, okay, like people are engaging. And and I've always said, like, I think one of the functions of uh, white supremacy or or racist power is to keep uh, a lot of people ignorant to the reality of what's going on. Because I think if a lot of people knew, they would care. But you can go a long time like living in this country and in this society, in this world and not know. Not because you're even like covering your own eyes, but because your eyes are, are being covered. And so I think there's a lot of awakening happening. And I think that's, that's very hopeful. Yeah. I'm curious on the iceberg um, metaphor. So. I love it. One, I think it's, I mean, it's helpful. But my takeaway from it is that um, racism is a lot more nuanced than just the tip of the iceberg, which is racist action, right? So it sounds as if, if I'm hearing you right, the big hope or the big takeaway that you want for those of us listening was to not make it so simple and to make it so 
did I, you know, use a racial slur today? Or did I um, go discriminate against somebody who was a, a different race? No, then I am not racist. So it's to recognize that I might be actively um, accepting uh, racist ideas that I like, I might be blind to that, or I might be participating in racist systems that benefit me that I'm not even aware of. So like to help me like kind of have a little bit more nuanced view of the topic. Is that it? Or is there more to it than that? Um, that's, that's pretty much it, right? That's to get that realization beyond, okay, well, I didn't, you know, do harm. Like I've never participated in violence and I've never, you know, used these words. Um, but that the reality is like, no, 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 no. Like we are all, we are all in this. This, this is much bigger than we think and nuanced. And again, that's not even to, you know, sometimes I say, I don't know if I said this in the videos, but that racism, racist has become such a pejorative term. Yes. When I feel like it should almost just be more descriptive, <laughs> right? Like it's, you probably are racist yeah. because, right? How massively this this iceberg and these systems have impacted um, our, our culture and our society and, and sort of, you know, sometimes I talk about racism, uh, sexism, no, racism, uh, nationalism and Christianity as like a braid that mm. like braided in your hair and then we slept on it for 400 years and now they're like it's all matted together <laughs> and, you know sort of get it um and some of those things are just that's that's our work and understanding it, it we need to take a little bit of the defensiveness out of like well I never it's like okay mm. chill with that mm -hmm. <laughs> you live in a society that actively participates in this what's your role can you fix your vision to start to see it? And then we can sort of move forward. Yeah. I think it's important that you put ignorance with violence and hate, mm -hmm. because I think it mm -hmm. is really like simple to be like, I'm not violent. I don't hate people, but ignorance is something that you have to be more careful um, to say that's not part of who I am, because I think that's one of the things that your work is highlighting for people is that just sometimes it is ignorance. We don't realize the depth and pervasiveness of this in the system that we were born into the, like you said, the treadmill, the sidewalk that we're on. And I'm like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So someone has to point it out. <laughs> and then when you know it is when you become responsible for it. Right. I'm not going to mm -hmm. go back and like, you know, pull up everyone's old tweets, but now <laughs> when you know, you know, and like, can we yeah. move forward, right? Yeah. Um, I was on week two, when you talked about power and privilege, you started off the conversation by talking about white privilege. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how, just want to make sure, I want to clarify what this means is not that white people haven't suffered or that you haven't endured hardship, but that you know, your race hasn't contributed to that to exacerbate it even further is kind of what I heard you say. And I guess the thing that I just was thinking about is I wanted to ask you, like, how does it feel that you kind of have to placate the white fragility at the beginning of your talk to make sure people stay with you? Like, I just was like, oh, I wish you didn't even have to be like, it's okay. I'm not, I, I just was, Peter and I were talking too about like you were saying, Peter, white men in particular, there's a defensiveness. There's, there's the potential yeah. for defensiveness. And I feel like you're, you're so gracious in acknowledging that and dealing with that. And I just wondered how that felt like, does, are you annoyed? Does it bother you that you have to do that? Hold my hand, Peter, you're not racist, but other people. <laughs> might. <be that> <laughs> um, Yes and no. So I think it's always twofold in in the way I, I see it, right? Um, because there is, hmm, I wanna be, um, <laughs> it's okay. Calculated the way I say this, but so, you know, white fragility is, is real and it's a, you know, it's a part of the issue and um, white people are also human beings who, uh, I think we can hold both and we haven't done a great job at that. Um, so I have a, a lot of critique on both 
conservatives and progressives. Um, and I think both of those critiques come down to not allowing people to be more than one thing. Um, and so I think on the, on the progressive end, sometimes when we talk about uh, white people and their fragility and their sensitivity, it comes down to like that, um, mm -hmm. that they are like whiny white people who like can't get on board. Um, and, and, I, and I could understand that sort of idea of like, well, why is it always, God, we've got to hold your hand through everything, we have to do this. On this other end, it's like, you know, we're good people, don't, don't come at us, like don't attack, you know, all these things. And I think it's actually a middle ground where um, I can understand the frustration and I get frustrated with like very slowly explaining racism sometimes to people mm -hmm. when it's something that feels so fundamental to who I am. And at the other time I can acknowledge that I'm talking to human beings who have nuanced human experiences. And yeah. so um, not many people, regardless of, of who you are, respond well to, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're not yeah. good or you're perfect. Like those aren't, neither of those are real, like neither of those are true. And so how can we hold both to say like, no, 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 your whiteness has, has created a space for you um, to feel sensitive, especially in this current conversation. Um, your whiteness has created a, a, a barrier and, and that has been like, sort of confirmed and there's some good things about that, but that's, there's some also some hard things about that. And so ultimately it comes down to half me as an anti-racism trainer, half me as a person of color and me as all these things. And then ultimately me as a communicator to say, well, if I'm trying to have a conversation, what can I do to make this conversation successful? And I don't think, I say this a lot, I do not think in any way, shape or form it's, it's people of color's job to explain racism to white people. However, personally, as someone who grew up in white spaces and I feel like speaks the language and has done these, I've just decided and committed of like, these are conversations that I'm personally willing to have. I wouldn't put that on anyone else. And so if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to try to do it in a way that can be successful. And yeah. so is it annoying? I don't know if annoying is the right word, but I don't, I think it's just true. Right. I think if you come out the gate or if I came out the gate swinging in a different way, <laughs> yes. and ultimately it, it is true what I believe also. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, I think that's what's hard sometimes for white people when you talk about white privilege. They're like, no, my, well, my, you know, my, my grandma has cancer. And you're like, yeah, no, like no one's saying like yeah. nothing's been hard for you. But if, if that's your idea of like, well, I don't have privilege because my life has been hard, then someone needs to reframe that idea for you mm -hmm. so you can see that. And so, I mean, long way around saying, sure, it's frustrating and it's also what's the reality of where we are, right? Um, and I've sort of never been, personality, disposition, a number of things, um, a come out of the gate swinging kind of person. And I'm always down to have a conversation about how nuanced, we are as humans. And I understand that about as a person of color and as a white person. Um, and I'm always down to acknowledge that, right? Because at the end of the day, that's, you know, if you don't transform your pain, you transmit your pain. So I don't want angry anybody, right? I want, <laughs> I want, I want people to be free. And so like, how can we get there? Yeah. Um, is, is a lot of my brain space. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message.
I really appreciated that. Um, the, the second week talking through white privilege, I, I think it is, like you said, it's maybe a necessary evil, right? Like how, how else are you trying, if you're trying to help people um, and the way to help people be open to new ideas is to hopefully lower defensiveness. Um, I, I find the defensiveness around race among peers of mine. So I'm, I'm Kristen reference that I was saying this earlier that like, I just have a lot of conversations with white dudes. Um, there's, I have a lot of white dudes in my life and the topic in general of race tends to just trigger defensiveness, right? Um, and white privilege as a term at its core for, for many white guys can just be, it's a triggering term now, whether um, right, wrong or indifferent, that's for many people's experience of that term. And so I, I appreciated kind of how you explained it. Um, I've, the quote that stuck with me, I think that um, I'd heard over the years is um, that privilege, uh, when you've lived in privilege, equality feels like oppression. So this idea of, um, for, for what I think, like my normal everyday experience, I didn't call that privilege, but for somebody else, that would have been a privilege. And I wasn't aware of it, right? So I'm waking up to, I think my, um, my experience isn't everybody else's experience. I think you did a great job speaking to that. I think my hope for our listeners um, would be to, like you said, tone down the defensiveness and just listen, assume without assuming attack, right? Personal attack, right? Because I think we often interpret white privilege as a personal attack on you, or um, at least this is what I, this is my experience with with some of the other guys that I'm talking to. So. I was thinking too on, you said ignorance, violence, and hate, right? Um, in week one, Kristen, you referenced that. I do think being potentially called ignorant or being being told that you're, you know, that you might be racist, um, like you said, you want it to be descriptive, but obviously that would, that's a term that would, nobody wants, to, nobody calls himself ignorant, right? Like it's the whole, the whole bias piece of the human experience. Nobody ever says, hey, are you um, like irrational? People are like, no, I'm rational. Everybody's rational so, and everybody, nobody's ignorant. And like, it's the whole stat of 90% of drivers say they're above average drivers, right? So <laughs> it's it's the human bias that's, I think, contributing to, I think, the defensiveness too, because it's embarrassing to like have to admit, oh, maybe I am ignorant on this topic, right? Or it's embarrassing to say, maybe I am open to systemic, you know, privilege or racist ideas that have benefited me. It's like embarrassing to have to say that. So I guess my just encouragement, and this isn't really a question for you, Britt, but uh, maybe I just want to say sorry that uh, that we're defensive um, on the topic and sorry that you have to make some disclaimers, but um, I'm hopeful that the more more frequent lead that we, um, we being just white people in general, but maybe I could just share for myself personally, I'm hopeful that I've grown less defensive the more I hear from people who think differently than me or that have had a different experience than me and the less defensiveness I get uh, less defensive I feel because I don't feel like you're personally attacking me or trying to help me understand your experience. Um, so anyways, I just appreciated what you shared on that. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's completely accurate. And I think, you know, so much of it is everyone's own work. Um, and if it, there's ways in which we are all privileged there's ways in which we are oppressed and it's, you know, I think, some of the, I don't want to say popularity, but the, the, the way that that race is in a conversation right now is is really feeling a lot of uh, people sing. I, I said something, this is a few weeks ago, and I said something <laughs> and my friend, so uh, my wife and I, our two best friends are another gay couple or two boys though. And um, I said something and they were like, we're like, that's homophobic. And I was like, what? And then I was like, oh my God. It totally, like, it just was like, I mean, I just have these, like, you know, and here I am, like, doing those things, but I'm like, those growing up in the church and all of these years of this, you know, yeah, granted, I've been like unpacking it all and deconstructing it all and breaking it all down for maybe five, six years, but that doesn't account for the 30 that, you know, it was like, and sometimes those little roots pop up and I say something and mm -hmm. I'm like, I just said that. I, and I said that because I spent years and years and years in an environment, mm -hmm. like 30 years in an environment, I've spent six years outside of that environment. So to think that those, 
that foundation is just like, as soon as I was like, oh, you know, I'm gay now. Like now I don't have any of the, that previous baggage. Like I, I don't, I do. Um, mm-hmm. And when we can sort of understand that and be less, less defensive of like, man, I, I don't know how, like the work I've done to undo some of those ties, but I still don't know how long they're going to probably pop up, you know, and I, you know, yeah. say something really evangelical. And I'm like, <laughs> I just start singing as I'm walking down the street, you know, I don't know. Those songs are still in my head. I still know all the words, you know, totally. and that's, that's, you know, that's the vibe you can, you know, you're going to decide like, Hey, I want to take my journey into racism, but some of those songs are still in your head. You know, all the words and yeah, it's, it's a journey. It's, that reminds me of the Pete Holmes bit. Um, Pete Holmes is, grew up Christian as well. He talks about the paint can with the little ball clacking around. He's like, mm-hmm. there's always that ball is Christianity. It's always clacking around. It, it it makes noises sometimes when we don't want it to. <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, man, the hell better not be real. You know. I have a question that's related. Uh, well, I want. I think. It's, it, I think it's refreshing or encouraging. Thanks for sharing that. Um, because I think even when in your third talk, you speak to hopefully having more grace for mistakes and, and like that we're going to fail through this, um, which I think is, maybe we'll get to that um, as we keep moving through. But one of the questions that I had, just kind of wanted to understand your, your interpretation. You talked about difference and you talked about, essentially you said the minute you begin to other someone, eventually that leads towards violence, right? So othering is this beginning process um, that eventually ends with violence. And I kind of wanted just to understand maybe the difference between difference and othering. So like Britt, you and I are different, right? Um, okay. we, we aren't the same. Um, how do we embrace or like value each other's difference without me othering you? Like what, what would be the differences there? And I know that that's hard because I'm using the word difference, <laughs> difference <laughs> as an idea, but how is it different than othering? Right. So I think other implies a norm that there's a normal, right? So um, we're different, but one of us is not normal and one of us is not Abnormal. not normal. Abnormal. <laughs> so hard. Yeah, okay. That was like, wait, <laughs> I think word for this. Um, and I think that's, that's the, the nuance between mm. othering or just being, yeah, no, we're not the same, but the issue is that we have normalized some ways of being and presenting and existing um, and othered, right? And, and I think that's, that's the nuance there, right? Is yes, you know, you have this, I have this, you live here, you look like this, you look this, all those are differences. Um, but if we say, well, and Peter's normal and Brett's right. like, different other um that's where we sort of get into those things and one little language thing i've been trying to um use in my own life is sort of almost trying to replace different with unfamiliar uh, which is helpful for my own brain of Mm. okay are they different that that experience is unfamiliar to me right Mm. um or yeah especially with a lot of of gender which is where my current brain is expanding and my experiences with people I love and trying to um, better understand, I think um, making that nuance of like, okay, this is unf- this is unfamiliar to me, um, but I'm I'm happy and I'm you know happy yeah. to be engaging in something that is hopefully going to make it more familiar to me yeah. in my community. Um, but I would say the the problem isn't that we have differences. The problem is that there's a normal. Yeah. That's, that's, that's helpful. I think even that word normal may be one that we need to be careful to use. Um, and I wonder, is there like, is there a better recommendation on like, just as, as like an alternative word for normal? Cause I do think normal does presume like this is the default and then mm-hmm. there's the rest. And so is there a better term familiar? Is, is that like- That's what I've been word, like familiar and unfamiliar yeah. of like, oh, this food is very familiar to me or this is very, you know, cause it's, it's true, mm-hmm. right? It's what we normalize is is what is familiar, right? And so, yeah. um, I like that. Yeah. I thought the um, the you did a really good job of just explaining that power and privilege rests on that idea that yeah, white is normal and everything else is other. And I appreciated your specifics about like band aids and crayons and Target and the hair 
Um, but my, I think my question about that, when you were talking about the multicultural hair care section in Target, my question for you is, I just want to make sure I'm understanding it. Like, does having a multicultural hair care section in Target, Target, does that further the idea of other, or is it finally we have like what we need? I was trying to figure out where where you were on that. Does that uh, make sense? My question. Yeah, totally. So I think the the fact that we have a multicultural hair section furthers this othering idea. Yeah. We need those hair care products, um, but having that specific label different, even though the whole, all the other aisles have different products. So like, you know, your red hair, your blonde, or your natural blonde is a fake blonde, you know, is your hair thinning, is it gray? So all these nuances, are still just under hair. There's just hair care. Yeah. You find your own, right? You say like, hey, I, I'm, I can find my own way in the aisle because I know I have, I have red hair or whatever. But the fact that we're still pointing out, okay, all this is still normal hair, even with all these variants, mm-hmm. uh, variations. And then we're going to point out this section is for other kind, other, other kind, kind of. of hair, that's right? what, that's yeah. what I took from it, but I wanted to make sure that I was understanding that because I, I remember yeah. seeing all of the, like there were social media posts about band aids and crayons and things like that and I um yeah I just want to make sure I understood it from the perspective of someone who like I never I did never notice band-aids you know that never occurred to me it's a part of the ignorance um so anyway just being told reminded too that like you're wearing a white person's band-aid is just something I've never thought about in my life um but it's just waking up to it when you see it like that doesn't make sense at all right why are you wearing a why are you wearing peter gad colored <laughs> band-aid that makes no right, sense right. All, right and that's where you know and and there's a lot of places that we could sort of see those nuance and yeah and i think i talked about this in the video but the sort of the biggest red flag we have right is who who's american and who's american with a hyphen right yeah. so you you're american and i'm african-american um, Korean American, Mexican American, right? We so we have this idea like if you close your eyes and I say, all right, we got an all American family, you know, who are you who are you picking? And so um, or picturing, and then that just trickles all the way to like I don't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> pick a pick a pick a place in your life, and and we'll find the the roots of that idea, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. I think too, I was just re- like reflecting, like, don't, don't you think that likely, and maybe push back on this, because again, this, this is a hopefully a safe place, but the Target probably put that section up thinking it was like helpful, right? But like thinking like, this is, this is a helpful section to provide products for people who aren't white or aren't, don't have, you know, traditional types of hair. Um, but I think maybe the, it's unintentionally, like you're saying, like the intent maybe was trying, but it was missing the broader goal of not othering. Sure. But the, so that's when the, the difference between impact and intent yeah. Um, yeah. I think comes down to also the ideas that we've consumed that we may mm-hmm. not even be aware. And that's why I'm always like pushing to the, the deeper thing. Cause it's like, sure. In, intentions and then the impact was this, but have you realized that you've consumed the ideas that you know this hair care is somehow different than all the other, other kinds hair of different care. hair, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's always like, and and I think intentions are are complicated um, in in every in every area of life, but especially in this, and and people really struggle with impact versus intent. Um, but I think it's it's fairly simple, especially if you keep deep diving down to what are the ideas you have consumed that have created these intentions, right? Of like, oh, I know what I'll do. Like I'll make, you know, people feel welcome in my soul. Why wouldn't they feel welcome? Or why do you, right? So it's it's, it's always Mm -hmm. pushing and pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. Peter, do you have something? No, I think think it's great. I, I I was more just bringing that up because I think that that still sounds like a, like 
maybe that would be an example of ignorance, right? So you're not intending to um, other, you're trying to be helpful, but you're getting in the way. And I think that's, I mean, that's a common thing. All, that's, it seems like that's happening all the time, right? So I think having um, you pointed out, I think just is helpful. Um, others pointed out is helpful to, to recognize unintentional ways, because I, don't, I think maybe that is even what is driving some of the defensiveness going back to an earlier discussion is like, it's assumed you're doing this on purpose. And I think regardless of whether you're doing it on purpose or not, it's not helpful. So yeah. now let's like, let's focus not so much on whether you tried or you didn't try. Let's focus on what's the impact of the decision. What's the impact of the legislation? What's the impact of the idea? So, And I think to be honest, one of the hardest places that I've seen uh, from my POV for white folks is not, there's a defensiveness to, to the learning sometimes and to the acknowledgement, um, but probably the hardest place to sort of feel uh, recovered from or still want to engage is when um, you, I've seen uh, white people in my life try, have the intent to do something and it is not um, correct. It is not an appropriate response. It is not those things. Um, and then that's, well, well, I tried. And so I don't even know what, what, what could I, yeah. you know, mm. that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And that's what's up, right? Someone probably sat in a meeting at Target and for like, Hey, I'm doing a really cool thing. Um, you know, and then people are like, no, we hate it. Um, you know, our job is like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's a great idea. Like this is a super progressive commercial. People are going to love it. And then they like, you know, get destroyed on social media for it. And so there's, I think that is, almost a, I've seen right a harder place to recover from because then you're like well then it doesn't matter what I do because no one's gonna like it because I'm just a white person blah, blah, blah. you know and, and that mm -hmm. is the thing that you have to fight against of like oh you are absolutely going to get it wrong one thousand percent a hundred there's zero there is a zero point zero percent chance <laughs> you are going to enter into this conversation into your own anti-racism work into whatever it is and get it right that's just like an Im impossibility. Um, and that's, I think, sometimes the harder thing to swallow. You've like realized yeah. you have privilege, you've recognized it, you see the systemic racism, you see these ideas that you've consumed and you're like, okay, I'm gonna like be better. And then you fail and you get it wrong. And, and I think that is sometimes a harder place to, to come back from. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um... I think that was a really important thing that you said in that third message, because I do feel like there's kind of this, however you would, how I think of cancel culture right now, where like you say something wrong or you do something wrong and there's no coming back from it is kind of what I take that to be. Um, and I guess I'm just, your comment made me feel hopeful. Like, can we all be, as gracious as Brit, can we all just be like, well, let's try it again, or let's not be discouraged by a mistake or feeling offended. Um, I just think that that's just our cultural in general, where easily offended about all kinds of things. Um, and I do think it's important to be able to just let down our personal guard about that and to I don't know, I guess, how do you address that? Just the, I'm, ask, I'm asking both of you, like the fear, you talked about the fear of being perceived as racist mm -hmm. is sometimes a huge block that stands in the way. So. Well, I mean, bottom line, I think I wonder all the time how, how much any of this conversation should be or even needs to be happening on the internet which i think is very very low <laughs> um and because i think there's there's also because you said like offended i had a conversation with a friend um recently something a family member had said and they were like well why are you so offended and he's like i'm actually not offended like my feelings are really hurt you know um and i think there's some there's just a lot of nuance there of, I think people, there needs to be accountability for things we did wrong. You know, like yeah. I wanna apologize to all of the young girls that I spewed purity culture at when I was, you know, a young, too young to be a pastor person. <laughs> um, 
and there needs to be accountability for those things. And, and especially when we hurt people's feelings. And I feel like the, you know, part of the issue is it's, it's all become public. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, are we a whole people or are we the worst thing we've tweeted in the past 10 years? Right. And that, you know, I think we're a whole holistic people and, and getting these conversations is a lot harder. And, um, uh, James Baldwin has a quote and he says, um, I imagine the reason people cling so tightly to hate is because they fear once the hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people mm-hmm. sit. And I think that's what makes this so hard is this shit is painful. Like yeah. it's, it's so hard. It's easier just to be like, well, then I'm never changing or I'm not listening to you or I'm, well, see, I got then to deal with the pain of like, did I hurt? Did I hurt people? Have I contributed um, to to the ignorance and hate? Have I contributed to these things? If you, um, people who have been racist for 60 years and then they just find it out and they've treated people differently and they told their their kids that they weren't allowed to date people. And what do you do with all that? That is extraordinarily painful. You know, I think about my own journey in in evangelicalism and, being 30 and then sort of like bringing that down, but still even those 30 years of like, yeah. that's painful some of the things I participated in, um, yep. knowing now how how wrong I think they are. And it like is, ha- that's hard mm-hmm. and that sucks. And that's the real work of some of this. And I don't even know if that can happen on the internet or like yeah. anywhere near <laughs> the internet or, or I don't even know if that's what we're trying to get people to. I feel like we're kind of just, exporting our own emotional labor onto strangers and I don't know how healthy that is but but the idea of 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 cancel culture whatever I'm like well I don't I don't care but are you gonna deal and move through the pain of of potentially hurting someone or contributing to these things in the world and if you can then I think you're gonna be a force for good um if you can't I think you'll continue to perpetrate that maybe in different areas and different avenues but it, it has to be dealt with it's so good i think it's good um i appreciated in your last your last talk too you kind of broke down what what does anti-racism work look like Um, right so if we're going to hop off the treadmill or the moving sidewalk and we're going to go the opposite direction kind of broke it down into three areas um i thought that was helpful education activism relationships and i was even thinking like how often in the last couple of years um, I've heard that it's not uh, essentially it's, it's, it's my job to educate myself on racism. And it's my job to like, as a, as a white person specifically, like I don't, I shouldn't be outsourcing that on others. So mm-hmm. you even doing this series and having a conversation with us, I hope you hear gratitude that I do think it is nice of you to do that. Cause I don't think it is your, your job. It might be your cho- personal choice and your work in the world, but it certainly isn't an obligation. Um, I just found that as a good helpful breakdown for me because I do think the question um, that you hear all the time for something so big the iceberg is huge right once you stop just viewing it as you know did I do something racist today and you recognize something a lot broader than that the systems that are contributing to the policy I think those things are really helpful Um, I think I think you you said relationships are tricky with cancel culture. Um, and I was kind of just curious, and I know that you kind of spoke to it just a second ago with Christian's question, but um, mm-hmm. like, do you feel like part of our role, I guess, I guess I go back and forth on this. So do you feel like if I'm trying to be anti-racist, is like, what is a helpful way, and maybe it's case by case to like help others as well? So like, should it at some level, like, I guess I've had conversations with people where I've tried to help them be open to some of my ideas, whether it's maybe less defensiveness around racism or like less certain about their Christianity, just in like, like less judgmental about people that aren't Christian. Right. Um, Cause I have plenty of Christians in my life and plenty of white people in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I've, I've had those conversations, not on the internet. I've, I've stopped yeah. doing any internet, internet conversations. I've done more coffees and just gentle, like maybe some humor, uh, maybe some like arm around, you know, the shoulder and like, it's okay. You don't need to stress about that as much, you know? Um, and sometimes they don't go well. And so like, is the point of like, I, I think maybe that's okay. Like the goal isn't like 
that every single conversation is going to go well and I'm going to convert them to my correct idea. But I'm kind of just curious, like, to what degree is it my job to help others get on board with less racist ideas versus like deal with my own internal challenges? Because I do think it is at some level my job, right? Like I can't mm-hmm. just be like, well, I'm, I'm working on it personally and I'm letting other people be unhelpful for the world. Like I feel like that's part of the activism too. So I'm just curious, like how much do you think I should be helping others be less, be more anti-racist? Yeah, great question. And I think, um... I think it's a hard question, so I don't need a great answer, by the way. I, I yeah, <laughs> well, I think the answer is always like sort of back to you. Um, I think this is a funny or, you know, sometimes I'll get asked a lot, like very specific, like, hey, here's the deal. My uncle, here's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, what should I say to him? I'm it's like, always an uncle. Blah, blah. I don't know. I'm like, yeah, it's a, I'm like, that's your uncle, girl. Like, I have never met him. I don't know what you should say to this man. Um, I think it's, it's that, that's our whole, I mean, far beyond anti-racism, that is our life is we figure out our boundaries and our accountability to the people. I have spent so much money in therapy asking almost one singular question, which is, what is my responsibility to people just because we're related? I really want to know. <laughs> I need to know, like, ladies, you know. Um, but that's our, that's the question, right? And I think we have to navigate when this work, like you said, you know, and, and being gracious and feeling these things, there are times where I'm like, no, I'm not talking about racism anymore. I'm taking a break. Um, or I'm, you know, only want to be around black people for the next like three to five days. Or, um, you know, actually I'm really open to these conversations and that didn't go well. Or, you know, this conversation didn't go well, but I feel like I want to keep coming back to the table. Or this conversation didn't go well and that was triggering for, you know what, and we're I, I'm, that's not yeah. a relationship I can have. Those are what we are always just navigating. I think our work is the only one that we can be continually committed to. And that will look, that will even change shape. And I think you have to just trust yourself. Like, you know, when people ask me like, should I be friends with queer people? Should I be still friends with my non-affirming new people mm-hmm. in my life? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There, does it feel, do so, does it feel bad? then no, but do you feel hopeful and you want to work? I don't know, you know, there's no, I don't think there's a rule book to any of this. Um, I think we should always be encouraging people to find freedom and and healing in the ways that we found it. Um, What that looks like, I have no idea. Yeah, it has to be case by case. I think it's helpful though, even that is a helpful response to me because um, it's, it's not just it's not just um my values too it's my values in relationship with that person right because like i might not keep coming back to the table with that person but i will come back to the table with that person keep engaging in that dialogue and so it is very nuanced but i like your response i think part of it too is like the more work that you do on yourself it comes out in your relationships so part of it is like i think the more you the more you do your own internal work, the more you process things, the more you understand, the more you learn that just will come out in your relationships and the conversations that you're having. Easily. And I think that's, you know, when I'm always, I feel like preaching this message, I'm like the, your own internal and emotional health and maturity and healing will contribute to your understanding of, of how you interact with this world when it comes to our planet, when it comes to racism, when it comes to homophobia, when it comes to class, when it comes to all those issues, you know, even I found like my, my response, my openness, my understanding, my all, so, so much of it rests in, in my, my work, right. As, as a person who needs to become emotionally whole and healthy and and mature. Um, And I, I say that sometimes, I mean, even my wife, right. Is someone who, um, just because of the circumstances of her life spent many, many, many years in therapy, like as a young, as a teenager. And because of that has this anti-racism, not that she always knew all of the language, but always um, had had a good engagement, right? Mm-hmm. On any topic, she was willing to say like, do I have something to learn here? 
or what do I need to know? Or what's this person's POV? And I think a lot of that comes just from our own work, you know, um, and where there's hysteria, there's history, right? It's something I've heard a lot. And so I think particularly with white men or people who like are defensive and, oh my God, you know, well, what's really going on? You know, like <laughs> you need to talk about racism. You need to understand these facts. You need to understand these things, but also like, bro, I, there's, there's a party that has not, you know, experienced the healing that, that it needs to, to be ready to, to engage in justice and transformative work in the world. And that's on you, you know? Well, I think I, I love the way you ended that message, the final one about the work being tangible, hopeful, and serious. Yeah. And I felt like those were really like, I don't know if you wrote that down or if that's just the way that you decided to say it, like just in the moment. But I really felt like that was descriptive of what what we're trying to do, something tangible, something hopeful, but it's also really serious. So I think um, I just want you to hear us say thank you. Thanks for sharing your point of view, for trying to be like, help people grow in this area. It's a challenge for sure. And I think I'm just really grateful for you, for your voice. Oh, well, thank you. It's, thank you. it's been fun to, to have this conversation and see and hear your perspectives and um and i would i would encourage everyone there's so many people of color other white people other anti-racism workers who have different pov than me and you know it's all important right to understand the nuance that exists in in this work and and in our world so you know lots there's lots out there um i feel like i've also learned from you like um your ted talk that you sent me and the course mm-hmm. that you offer this anti-racism course, right? Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you tell the people that are listening and watching a little bit about that? Or we can also link to it also. Yeah, we will. Yeah, yeah. so there's a course, there's a one that's just a digital, like um, like a workbook basically. And then there's one that has video. So it's like probably two hours uh, video. If you're not tired of listening to me talk yet, you will be aware of that. <laughs> um, but to, to walk people through this in a, in a little bit of a more extensive, deeper way. Um, and then I have a TED talk, you can find it on YouTube, uh, to just talking about sort of some of these same concepts. So if you wanted to dive a little deeper uh, with me in your ear again, you can check that out. That's the Beyonce one, right? The, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I love that one. Yeah. I love Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we will send those out too so people can join you on that part as well. Thanks so much for your time, Brett. It's always good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.